You're listening to a special Money Talks broadcast featuring Tyler Bullhorn of StockScores.com. It's all about how to make money, uh, what to trade, how to trade. The question is, what are the two ways to find out information before the market does? The first way is to have great knowledge, the resources, the uh, hard work that you can put in to figure out what the private information will be. So here in Vancouver, obviously lots of people in the mining industry. There's people perhaps in this room that just know more about the mining industry than most. And they might know about ABC Mining Company that is drilling for a gold project in Nevada. And they might know who the people on the drill rigs are and they have that ability to pull out private information. You know, among the big hedge funds and big institutional investors, they have millions of dollars to spend to get better information than we get. You know, uh, these, these fund managers, I talked about this last night, these funds will actually buy satellite time and take pictures of Walmart parking lots around Christmas to figure out if the Christmas shopping season is going to be better or worse for Walmart. Or they'll put a bunch of college kids in Disney theme parks and count traffic. Okay? In theory, we could all do that, but it's expensive. Now, when you manage $10 billion, well, you can afford to do that. So that's how people gather information before it is public. And of course, then there's also some people just, you know, work for the company and they get inside information. And we hear about that all the time. This lady, Martha Stewart, she had a little bit of trouble because she traded on, on inside information a few years ago. And uh, you might remember that she was decorating uh, jail cells for a while. Okay, so we have two choices. We can find the private information or we can follow the people that have the private information. That's what I do, is the latter. Does anyone know what a remora is? I'd be really amazed. No hands? A remora, and you all know what it is, it's that little fish that swims beneath the shark. So the shark's going along and there's a little fish with a suction cup on the top of its head and it attaches to the belly of the shark and its goal is to take all the little tidbits of food that the shark leaves behind. It doesn't work, it just comes along and takes little bits here and there. That's what I do as a trader. I look in the market for evidence that there are people trading on new information. And I'm going to teach you how to do that tonight, it's actually quite easy. But to get there, I have to teach you a little bit about how to read charts and what stock charts are. And, and um, there's really six important things that you need to learn. Tyler, I might add that uh, I find it very difficult to have conversations with investors who don't know what support is, do not know what resistance is. And these are, it's obviously uh, foundational for what your work is, but these are concepts that you just really have to know in the investment field when you're asking about pricing of stocks. That's right. And a lot of times people are intimidated by the concept of technical analysis because it seems foreign. Number one, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And number two, it's technical. So I want to simplify it tonight. And I also want to explain where it comes from in terms of fundamentals, in terms of business, and in terms of human psychology. So there's six things that you need to know. I have made thousands and thousands of stock trades over the last 22 years. And every one of my trades is based on these six things, nothing else. I don't use anything more complicated than what I'm going to talk about tonight. Now, I can use these in a sophisticated way, but this is all you need to know. So those six things, and I'll go through them one at a time in a moment, are support, resistance, optimism, pessimism, 
price volatility and abnormal activity. All right? Now, you're probably wondering, why does he got all those arrows on there? Well, the arrows are at price points where price change direction. So if it's an arrow pointing down, then the price stopped going up and started going down. And so if you look into uh, the middle of May here, the price fell down to a little below $7, and then it went up to this point, about $8.75, and then it went down. So I've put a down arrow to say that is an inflection point top. What it means is the buyers had been pushing the stock up, and they stopped pushing it up, and the sellers started pushing it down. So price trend changed direction. Now, why is that important? The market is a war between buyers and sellers. That's all it is. You pick your sides every day. If you buy, you buy because you think the stock is going to go higher. If you sell, you do so because you think the stock is going to go lower. Where price changes direction is like in that battle. It's, a, it's the front line of the battle. It's where the buyers took control from the sellers or the sellers took control from the buyers. Now, the reason I put all these lines on, or these arrows on here is these are the building blocks of chart patterns. Everyone remember connect the dots? You know, you go to IHOP and you draw your little pancake by counting to 30. Well, we're going to do the same thing with stock charts. We're going to connect the dots to come up with chart patterns. So support is a floor price. It is a psychological barrier for the market. And what I've done is I've pulled out a few of those up arrows, which you can see are drawn at price points where the stock stopped going down and started going up. And I've just drawn a horizontal line there. But that line has meaning. It's the minimum for that time period. It's the minimum price that investors were willing to sell the stock for. So the market said at this point right here at 950, it said, we don't think that this stock is worth less than $9.50 a share. And then it started to go up. And about a month later, it went down for a few days. And the buyer stepped in and said, OK, we don't think the stock is worth anything less than $10.50 a share. And it went back up again. And then the sellers pushed it down for a couple of weeks. And the buyers made their stand. They defended the stock at $11. So that $11 represents the buyer's opinion of what the fundamentals are worth at a minimum for that time. And it's based on all of the information that investors have. Everything that the market knows about this stock shows up in this chart. Public information and private information. All right, so to summarize then, support is a floor price. We draw it at an inflection point low, and it represents the minimum value for the fundamentals at that point in time. Now, obviously, we can flip it around and look at resistance. Resistance is the ceiling price. It's the maximum price that investors were willing to pay for the fundamentals. And so you can see over this six-week period that investors had a hard time paying more than $9.60 a share. On three occasions, the stock would hit that price, and the sellers would say, hey, that's too much. I'll sell my stock to you. I'm happy to get 960. I don't think the stock's worth more than that. And so the stock would go down for a few days, and the buyers would push it back up again. 
and would get up to that price level, and again, the sellers would supply stock to the market. So in that war that was going on, the sellers drew a line in the sand at 960. Tyler, can I just? Yes. Uh, you know, one of the things that every one of you, uh, I don't want this to, and it's not, you're doing a great job explaining it, but every one of you would be doing this if I asked you just simply to record the prices of any stock I chose. I said, just can you, for about six months, can you record the prices for me? And that's what you're seeing, that's what a stock chart is, just recording those prices. But if I said to you after six months, I said, hey, did you notice any tendencies there? Like, like did it always go up? Oh, no. Did it, well, what was the top price it got? Well, you say, well, maybe 1050. I said, well, did it do that more than once or twice? Oh, yeah, it did it three different times. You know, and I said, oh, well, so that's usually about the top in it, isn't it? And you'd go, yeah. Or I could say, when it came down, did you notice any tendencies when it came down? What was the low for it? Well, it traded as low as $8. Did it, did it do it more than once? Oh, yeah. That, boy, every time it hit 8 or that, around that 8, it went back up. Well, I would say, well, could you give me any advice when to buy it? I think you'd say 8. And can you give me any advice when to sell it? I think you'd say 10. Okay, so we got support and resistance, two out of six covered. Let's move on to optimism and pessimism. So as I said, the market is a war between buyers and sellers, right? If the buyers are winning the war, they push price up. So here, the buyers are winning for a little while, and they push it up. Then the sellers are winning, they push price down. Buyers, sellers, buyers, sellers, buyers. What I want you to notice is that there's a little bit of a bias going on in the market over that six-week period. Because every time the sellers were strong and they pushed price down, they weren't able to push it lower than the last time they were strong. So if we think about this being the first time that they, the sellers were strong and they pushed price down, they got it down to just under nine. Well, the next time, they didn't get as far. They only pushed it to nine. And then the time after that, they only pushed it to nine and a quarter and 9.30. So there was a little bit of a tendency for the buyers to be building momentum. It's like they're building strength. And that is a sign of optimism. If the buyers are gaining strength over time, then the buyers are in control of the market, and we have an optimistic market for that stock. How do you know if there's optimism? Very simple. Write this down. Rising bottoms equals optimism. Rising bottoms equals optimism. Incredibly simple, I guarantee you that most of you have bought stocks where there was pessimism. Because the natural tendency for human beings is to want to get a deal, right? We go to Future Shop to buy a microwave, we check the price, we go to Best Buy, same company, but maybe the price over there is a little cheaper. So we're always price shopping, we like bargains. In the stock market, if the price is going down, there's a reason, and it's not a good one. And so you want to always think, who is in control of the market? Are the buyers in control, or are the sellers in control? And here we can see that the tops are falling over time, and therefore, the sellers are in control. There's nobody in this room, I bet, who does, at least doesn't know somebody who said, I should buy X because it's a good deal. And how are they measuring, you know, some stock. Oh, it's a good deal. And they're measuring it because it used to be higher. You know, that, that's literally what their definition is. I hope you are hearing, Tyler is giving you a new definition of what a good deal is here. Because that is a mistake I hear so commonly 
Dennis Gartman talks famously about one of his worst trades in his life, which was to buy sugar, which I think had been like $12 a pound, and he just absolutely, how could it go lower than $2 a pound? Mike, I mean, that is like you're saying, Tyler, that's a discount and a half. That's a sale price we can't resist, and it went to 10 cents. And they sold because sugar for burlap. Yeah, that was one of his major lessons, you know, but exactly what Tyler's describing. So don't be too casual when he says, I'm telling you, I know firsthand this is how people buy. Oh, it's cheap. Well, how did you determine that? Because it used to be higher. Well, what did the trend line looks like? Is it still in the downtrend? Or as Tyler, is it still in pessimism? Right. So I, I hope you're, I mean, literally, if you just get that and stop buying stocks that are in the pessimistic mode, you'll start be doing a little bit better. Because he'll now describe, or soon to describe, how do you know when that change of direction is going to right. take place? And so ultimately, I want you to think about the stock market like a river. And you can throw your canoe in the river, and you can paddle upstream, or you can paddle with the current. It's obviously easier to paddle with the current. And to know the current, to know the direction of the river, just look at the chart and say, are there rising bottoms or falling tops? So here there's falling tops, and then it switches partway through that, and we start getting rising bottoms. And at this point, we break the cycle of falling tops because we break that line that was drawn across those tops, and we do it from rising bottoms, and look what happens. The buyers took control because the fundamentals were improving. But if you wait to read about the fundamentals from someone in the newspaper business or perhaps on BNN or wherever you, you know, look for public information, you're going to be buying up here and you're going to be too late. Okay, so now we've got four out of our six. Support, resistance, optimism, pessimism. So far, all we've had to do is start by drawing dots and then take a ruler and draw straight lines. I know you're all capable of that, right? So the next thing we're going to take is a little, bit, a little bit harder to understand, I think, and that's price volatility. How much is price changing over time? How many of you remember the market in 2008 or prefer to forget the market in 2008? What was frustrating for investors in 2008 was that there was so much volatility. It was, you know, the market went down three, 400 points day after day because we had the financial crisis unwinding. So here's what you need to know about volatility. The more volatile a stock is, the more its price is changing over time, the more uncertain investors are about the company's fundamental value. Okay, so the job of the stock market is to figure out what Suncor is worth, what Bombardier is worth. And every day people buy and sell in the market, they're really casting their vote for what those stocks are worth. If there's a lot of volatility, then it means investors don't really know what it's worth. One day it's six, one day it's seven, then it goes down to 6.30. It's all over the place because investors don't have confidence in the value of the company. If, however, a stock goes into a narrow trading range relative to its past, then we can say that the market has come to some consensus on the value of the company. The buyers and sellers have come to agreement. Now, how do you see that on a chart? If the line drawn across the bottoms is converging toward the line that is drawn across the tops. If they are moving toward one another, 
then by nature, volatility, the amount of price movement, is diminishing over time. There's much more volatility here than there is here, right? So at this point, on the right side of our little pattern that I've drawn, we have very little volatility, and that means that the buyers and sellers have shaken hands and they said, hey, I agree that this stock is worth about $9.50 a share. And that's important because when we get breaks from that, it implies that there is new information that justifies a group of investors either paying more or selling for less. In this case, the stock is breaking up in an abnormal way. Now, when I say abnormal, what I mean is that a computer can measure it as statistically significant abnormal activity. So, how did this come about? You won't find this on normal stock market websites or even normal technical analysis because it's my little special ingredient, my secret sauce in everything I do. And what happened was, when I was in university, in my fourth year of university, I took a class where there's only about eight students in this class, and we studied whether the market behaved abnormally before the announcement of major mergers or acquisitions by other companies. So if company A is buying company B, they usually pay a lot more than what it's trading at, right? So you might have a stock that one day is trading at $20 a share. After the close of trading, the market gets an announcement saying, we're going to buy that company for $40 a share. We want to buy the whole company, 40 bucks a share. Well, if you own it at 20 and one day later you make 40, that's a pretty good deal, right? Now imagine if you knew that that deal was coming. Let's say you work at a law firm that is papering the transaction. Okay, you're one of the legal assistants that's going to, you know, you're seeing all this paper come across your desk and you know that R.J. Reynolds is going to buy Nabisco and they're going to pay twice what the stock is trading at. Wouldn't it be great to just go out and buy that stock and then two days later make 100% on your money? Now, it would be great, but it's illegal. You can't trade on inside information. But I can tell you that it happens all the time. You're listening to a special Money Talks broadcast featuring Tyler Bullhorn of StockScores.com. It's all about how to make money, when to trade, when not to trade, how to get out of the market. So when I left university, I threw all my books in a box and I kind of forgot about it. I was studying the stock market. It was my passion, but I never really made the connection. And I was following penny stocks because I, I lived in Calgary and I was going to the Alberta Stock Exchange. I traded Vancouver Stock Exchange stocks. And I studied these over and over again, charting them out by hand a lot of the time. And I started to see that these stocks would be really boring. And then all of a sudden, abnormal activity, and that would start the trend. And that was 15 years ago, and it's still the same way today. I'm going to estimate that 90% of market-beating upward trends start with abnormal activity. Some evidence in the market that people are trading on new information that nobody else knows yet. Now, remember I talked about the importance of trading on private information and how you want to be like the remora and follow the sharks? So we're going to follow abnormal activity because it tells us that something big is coming. Now, here's the problem. Most market-beating trends start with abnormal activity, but not all abnormal activity leads to market-beating trends. Understand the logic? 
So just buying abnormal activity by itself, you won't do well. But if you take the other five things that we talked about and say that we want to buy when a stock is showing optimism and when it's breaking through resistance and when it's breaking from low volatility, in that instance where abnormal activity is coming out of this kind of a pattern, now that is something that has a high probability of success. And you know, it's not just a line. I think a lot of times people look at technical analysis and say, how can drawing lines in a chart do anything? That line represents the opinion of people about the value of the company. It represents the psychology of the market about the company. And on that day where the blue dot was, that was the day when the market broke a downward trend line from a rising bottom, from low volatility, all the things that we've learned already tonight. You don't have to know anything more than that. You just have to have a tool to find these and a little bit of knowledge about strategies. I'll but what I know is that the market knows everything, and I just follow them. I don't want to be smart. I don't want to try to outsmart thousands of people. I can't. You can't. Nobody can. Just do what the market tells you to do. Because even if the market's wrong, it will overpower you. So why argue with it? Yeah, the market may be wrong, but it may just be that there's so much cash in sovereign wealth funds, in big hedge funds, it's got to go somewhere, and people don't want to put money in real estate. Gold is kind of teetering out a little bit, so they're putting money in the stocks. Not because they deserve to put it there, it's just better than treasury bills that are paying less than 2%. Okay? So, but again, the key thing is the abnormal activity. Breaking through resistance from optimism, from low volatility. You now know everything to do fundamental analysis on any stock in 10 seconds. But instead of reading about the company and spending hours studying the financial ratios and who's the management and all that stuff, all that public information, you're just going to say to yourself, what does the market think about it? Because the market's going to factor all of that stuff in, but it's also going to factor in the things that we don't get to read about on the internet. It's going to factor in the new information the second it comes out, or the second that those rumors arrive. So you can read the market's interpretation of a company's fundamentals using those six elements, and that's all you need to know. And so when I tell people that I can analyze any company in 10 seconds, that's how we do it. So now, we've talked about when to buy, we want to follow the abnormal activity, how do we know when to sell? We're going to use the same six elements in a little different way, and we've got two choices. We can sell a stock at a loss, or we can sell a stock at a profit. How many people like selling at a loss? How many people, when they buy a stock, plan to lose? All right, here's the thing. If you want to be successful in the market, I want you to like losing. I want you to say, I want to be a loser today. I say that every day to myself in the mirror. I want to be a loser today. Here's why. Has anyone here been right 100% of the time in the stock market? Besides Mike? <laughs> so by the acknowledgement here, we know that being right all of the time in the stock market is impossible. Why? Because the stock market has too many variables. It's too difficult. You know, we can put a glass of water out in the freezing temperature. We were in Calgary last night. It would probably have frozen last night, ice. The science of putting water in below zero temperatures means it'll freeze. The stock market is not a science, it's an art. 
And so because we know that we won't be right all of the time, we need to have a plan for what we're going to do when we're wrong. We're going to pick a price point that if it falls to that price point, if we buy the stock at $10 and it falls to $9, we're going to say, the market has told me I'm wrong, I misinterpreted something, whatever it is, and I'm going to take my loss and move on. Why is that so important? Because your winners have to pay for your losers. You're not going to be right all of the time. And so when you're right, you have to make enough to pay for those inevitable losers. Well, if you've got big losers, even if you're only wrong 10% of the time, but if 10% of the time your losses are massive, you might need 20 winners to pay for one loser. Well, what I want you to do is have a method for controlling risk so that your losses are never big and your winners outweigh your losers. And I'm going to talk about this in a little bit more detail in a moment. It's called the expected value. But just for now, let's just realize that we need to plan to lose every time we buy a stock. Now, we're also going to hopefully sell some at a profit. Well, how do we know the best time to sell a stock? The most expensive way to sell a stock is to try and get out at the top. Because if you have that mindset that I got to get out at the absolute top, you're trying to be perfect, you never will be, and you'll leave a lot of money on the table. So we're going to have just a method where we try to buy near the start of the trend and try to sell near the top. But we're never going to get out at the top. We're never going to get in at the bottom. More with Stock Scores, Tyler Bullhorn. I'm amazed at how many people absolutely don't have a clue. I mean, I'm being quite little. Remember I said I'm the guy who said I don't care if you like me in the end. They don't have a clue about why they're buying something and when they're selling something. And you can say, well, why'd you sell it then? And it's like my aunt Myrtle died or something. You know, what we're talking about tonight is to give you some tools that if you don't have better ones, I'd advise you to take advantage of. You know, that'll give you those trigger points. So you say, you know when I sell? I sell when those declining tops start happening. I sell when the buyers are, are sorry, rather the sellers take control of the market, when it starts reversing. So you have to yourself, so you can get yourself under control in that way. Because uh, I can't think of a more important subject that we're dealing with tonight than this. Because if you think about it, where is the pain caused? The pain is caused because people do not know how to manage their risk. Whether you're a major financial institution in the States in the subprime mortgage, whether you're a country in Southern Europe, or whether you're an individual who bought a stock at $12 and you own it today at $0.10. Cents. You know, so this is a real key. I, I am astounded, Tyler how few people understand the difference of, you know, I say, well, they say, well, should I sell? I say, well, what's, what's your problem if you do? What, what's your problem if you do? You don't make as much money? Is that what we're dealing with? The problem comes when you don't manage your risk properly. It never happens because you didn't quite take advantage of this one opportunity. When Tyler was talking last night with him, he's saying, you know, he can find 15 opportunities you know, in a short period of time, I can't remember, is that a week, 15 a week? Yeah, I think you, depending on the time frame you trade yeah. in a week, sure. Yeah, 15 a week that meets the criterion to buy. So missing that ain't the problem. Losing your capital is. So that's why this is such a key component, what we're talking about tonight. That's right. Capital preservation is key as a trader. I was a great stock picker. When I first started trading the stock market, I was, you know, a kid in university pumping gas. I was good at picking stocks, but I didn't do that well. Because I didn't manage risk very well. I would hang on to my losers. Why? Because it was painful to sell the loser. How many of you think you're a normal human being? Okay, bad news. Being normal is destructive 
to your performance in the market. Because normal people hang on to their losers and sell their winners too early, which means they have big losers, smaller winners. The winners can't pay for the losers, or at least not adequately. So every time we buy a stock, we're going to plan to lose. We're going to plan to lose at the price point where the market proves us wrong. So if we think about the blue arrow as our buy point, because this stock broke through resistance from optimism, then what we're going to say is if it falls below the red line, which is support, we're going to sell. Why did I pick the red line? Well, I drew the red line at the price point where the stock stopped going down and started going up. It was the line drawn by the market that said, we don't think the fundamentals of this company are worth less than $9 a share. Okay, so it was the market's opinion, not my opinion, the market's opinion. The market said the minimum we'll take for the stock is nine, and anything lower than that, we're not going to accept it. Well, it stands to reason then that if the stock falls back down below $9, it does so because there's some new and negative information that justifies someone paying or accepting a lower price. So that's why I draw the line at nine, because that's the floor that the market defined for me. So just for simplicity, if I buy the stock at $10, and I'm going to plan to lose at $9, and I buy one share, how much do I stand to lose if I'm wrong? Well, $10 minus $9 is $1, right? So if I buy one share, my risk is $1. If I buy 500 shares of this company at $10 with a plan to lose at $9, I'm risking $500. How much are you willing to lose on any one investment? Well, there's a few variables in that. Your age, how much capital you have, just how well you sleep well, or how well you sleep on risk. Everyone has a different risk tolerance in this room. Some of you might be willing to lose $100. Some of you might be willing to lose $10,000. Your risk tolerance determines your position size. So for simplicity, let's say you're willing to lose $1,000 on any one investment. You have a $50,000 RRSP. You're willing to risk 2% of your RRSP on any one trade. So you buy 1,000 shares at $10 with a stop loss at $9. If it goes down and hits, well, I'd like to say if it closes below $9, you're going to take your 1,000 and change loss. In this case, it never went through the floor. The market was right when the market said on this day, there's something positive fundamentally going on in this company and the stock started to move higher. So now that it's moving higher, how do we know when to sell at a profit? It's the hardest thing to do for people because you're so worried about leaving money on the table. But here's the thing. The stock market has got another bus coming along every day. There's always another bus to get on. So if you buy a stock here, you sell it there, you make $800, put the money into the next good one. And maybe that one goes up and you could have made 3000 Who cares? Forget about it. If the market told you to sell, you sell. How do we know when to sell? If there is a falling top. Why falling top? Because a falling top is a sign that the sellers are stronger than the buyers. A break of an upward trend line. If I draw a line across the bottoms and it gets broken, that's another reason to sell. If there is a breakthrough support, a horizontal line at an inflection point low, another reason to sell. So we bought at 10, we had a stop at 9, and we sold at 1150. 
So how much did we make on 1,000 shares? 1,000 shares times $1.50 a share in profit, we made $1,500. We risked $1,000 to make $1,500. Not really a great trade, actually. We earned one and a half times our risk. How much money can you emotionally afford to lose? I can afford a lot more financially than I can personally emotionally. That's what I know about myself. And here's the problem with that, though. You go in and you say, you know what? I can afford to risk 1000 using Tyler's example. But you actually set it up that you could easily lose $5,000. My experience is people don't sell. They've already told you they can't afford to actually lose that emotionally. So that's why they don't take action on a stock, as we just saw, like in Canada. Like, that's a huge waterfall decline. They still don't take action because they actually got out of their comfort level of selling the amount. And it's really penalizing to get that part wrong. So the last thing I want to talk about before we break is this concept of expected value. You want to trade strategies that have a positive expected value. Let's think about that in terms of reward for risk, which we just spoke of. So if I have a strategy that 90% of the time makes me $100 and 10% of the time loses me $1,200, do I have a good strategy? Nine out of 10, I make 100. One out of 10, I lose 1,200. I have a strategy that actually loses money. Because nine out of 10 times I make 100, that's $900 in profit. One out of 10, only 10% of the time am I wrong. But when I'm wrong, I lose 1,200. After 10 trades, I've lost $300. So making money in the market is not like school. You don't get an A for getting a 90%. How often you are right is irrelevant. It's about how much you make when you're right versus how much you lose when you're wrong. I have a friend who trades gas, uh, natural gas. He's wrong most of the time. I would say he's right maybe 20% of the time. But when he's right, he makes big profits. And when he's wrong, he has small losses. And so the expected value of his approach to the market is positive. <laughs> so before the break, um, Mike had asked me to bring up the longer term chart of research in motion. Here it is. And. Uh, what you got to get is people owned this stock all the way down. All the way down. And I'll tell you one other quick story about using this stuff properly. <clears throat> if someone who is very well known uh, in the investment business tells me, this is going back quite a few years, Nortel has dropped, it was a blue chip recommendation of every major brokerage firm in the country, at over $110. Stock was trading at 123 he tells me some months later that he's purchasing, has purchased the stock at $30. Without even seeing that chart, do you think it was in an optimistic or a pessimistic trend at that point? And it certainly had. And he asked me my opinion. And I said, well, my, my way of looking at it is I'm a buyer at 70 cents. And I said, but I'll reevaluate. And of course, it went bankrupt. I never did buy it. But can you show that one more time? Yep. Just, well, I, I, really, I can't hit you hard enough to let you know that people owned this stock from that 140-ish mark on that left. Look at that waterfall decline. So if you don't have ways of measuring when that stock has turned pessimistic and you're just kind of guessing at it, you're going to have a problem. And literally, you know, 
tens of thousands of people, including professional money ma uh, managers, had a problem. And the reason is Tyler's done a great job outlining is the story doesn't change that much. Isn't it still great and, you know, those Blackberry things and, oh, God, they must be expanding big time into uh, Asia. You know, isn't that another huge market? And they've got new products and they've got, th hey, the stories are always great, are always great. <clears throat> so you need something besides that to help you with your determinations of when you're a buyer and when you're a seller. But you know, trading is fun. Like I love to do it, whether you want to trade long term or I love to sit in the front of the screen because it's, it's the most competitive game in the world. You know, forget trivial pursuit. You're, paying, you're playing trivial pursuit against five people. When you trade the stock market game, you're trading against the smartest people in the world. Write a plan and I don't want it more than one page long. And that plan is gonna have when to buy, how to manage risk, when to sell, how to manage emotion, the four pillars. Boy, is that e a lot easier said than done. But keep and review and plan. Hey, that'll make 2016 a much better year. Until next year, though, on Money Talks, this is Mike Campbell saying, hey, join us on moneytalks.net and review all the business comments. And in the meantime, have a very happy new year. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. For more information on this royalty-based, no-fee investment, go to soleraclub.com.